Well, if you have your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 10. And, and you know, it's interesting as we, you think about our world, our, our country is getting, and, and the world has always been this way, I guess, at some level, but well, well, historically, our, our country, though, is getting more and more pluralistic. By that mean, I, I mean this belief in many gods, and that's been a stronghold in the world all through history. But, but in light of kind of where we've been today already and, and, and what the Bible says, we, we have to recognize that God has revealed something incredible through the cross. The, the cross and, re, and the resurrection of Christ, that moment in history was clearly the focal point of all of human history. And, and so often when, when you think about people that are pluralistic, that really believe that idea that there are many paths to God, totally underestimate the significance of the cross in that moment in time. Because, you know, when you think about what people believe in the world, a lot of people believe in a lot of people and they go worship at their graves. But, but, but if you really think about the magnitude of the, of the resurrection of Christ, it, it's clear that Jesus is Lord of all. It's clear that, that, that the world is underestimating the significance of the cross. And, and before we just like point a finger at the world, let's recognize that's our problem too. Sometimes we even underestimate the significance of the cross. And, and, and you know, the, the, when, when Jesus died and rose from the dead... Think about that. Who else has done that? Who else has, has even come close to something like that? There have been a lot of people that have done some good things in the world and some things, but nobody else has died and come back from the dead. So that right there shows the, let me use this term, the exclusivity of Christ. It shows that Christ is unique among all beliefs. It, it shows the, the, the reason why it's right to believe in Christ alone and not pursue some other, other thought or religion or, or idea. You pursue Christ. Now, Paul points to this, he, he kind of makes this claim as he interacted with these Gentile, this Gentile world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he, he said this, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And, 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 and then he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we should be the most pitied of everybody. But here's the thing. Jesus did rise from the dead. He did conquer the grave. And it's right to look to Jesus and to cast our mind to Calvary like we've sung today. It's right to turn our face to the Lord's Supper and remember the body and the blood of Christ. It's right to be confident in the resurrection of the dead that even if we face death today, even if today is our last day, we have reason to be confident because what Jesus did on the cross and as he conquered the grave it should give you incredible peace and hope. Now, um, 
we're, we're looking at Mark chapter 10, and it's an interesting passage because it's a moment that you see, um, you see these disciples, the disciples completely missing the significance of the cross and the resurrection. You also see kind of one of the, um, one of these um, stumbling blocks, the, these stumbling moments with the disciples. And, and you know, my prayer is, that this morning, that I've been praying this for our church for the last several months as we've been going through the Bible, that we follow the Lord more faithfully than we've ever been, ever followed Him. That we love the Lord like we've never loved Him before. That we see the Lord like we've never seen Him before. And, and I can't think of a more important time in the history of the world, in our history in the world, for us to walk with Jesus with passion and obedience and faithfulness. And the disciples had to get this right because they were at a significant moment in history. You know what I believe? I believe we better get this right because we are at an important moment in history. Let's stand together and let's read this passage. Mark chapter 10, 32 through 45 is where we are. We read this this week. It's last week, and and it says this, And and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed him were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles." And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you'll drink and with the baptism which I am baptized you'll be baptized. But to sit at my right or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they, they began to be indignant at James and John. When Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, you know what? As I've wrestled through this passage this week and, and, um, and thought about what I've been praying for our church, that, that old Anglican prayer kept coming to my mind. And, and you may know it if you saw the movie or the play Godspell. I don't know if you saw that play. They made it famous. But this old Anglican um, wrote this that, Day by day, he says, three things I pray. May I, oh oh dear Lord, to see thee more clearly, 
to love thee more dearly and to follow thee more nearly day by day. And, and you know, uh, I look at this moment in the lives of the disciples and, and I look at what Jesus is saying to them and, and this is another one of those revelations of God that you see this clearly revealed in Scripture that the death and resurrection of Christ proves that Christ alone is Lord. We've got to reject this temptation to be pluralistic, to, to even buy into the idea that, that there could be any other path to God. The Bible is crystal clear that there's only one way to the Lord. There's only one way to heaven, and it's through Christ. You know, uh, last week, if you were here, Todd Fisher was here, and he said something so insightful. He said about, um, about truth. Truth is not something that we decide upon. He said truth is something, he said, that it, it is discovered. I would say it like this, it's revealed to us. We discover truth. And, and, and what you see in the Scriptures is that this claim that Christ, what you see in history, this claim that Jesus died and he rose from the dead. And in that moment, if, if he could really do that, who else would you serve? Who else would you follow? And this is why we as followers of Jesus, those that understand this as true revelation of God, must not get sucked into that temptation and really believe, oh, oh well, there's other ways to God. Folks, there's only one way to heaven. Truth is always narrow, and we can't forget that. And notice this. Look at verse 32. And, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed him were afraid. And Jesus saw this. I mean, people were amazed at Jesus. They, they looked at his life and thought, golly, who, who is this guy? He's, he's amazing what he could do and what he did. And, but, but there were some that were like, we're afraid. And, and, and Jesus understood this. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was, what was going to happen to him. To him. And, and I get this. Look, the, the, there was some rightness in their concern and their fears. I think that, that there were some that recognized this was a dangerous time. You, you know what I think we ought to recognize? That we too live in some dangerous times. And for us not to recognize this is, is, is to miss the moment. And so there was an element of, this, of the disciples on this road. They, they were right to have a little fear and trepidation. But, 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 and I look at our world, there's political fears right now. There's economic fears. There's, um, we turn on the news to see what the update is on the war, and, and there's two wars going on, and our country's going to be in the middle of it. I just now, just a, right before I walked up here, got a text from a, a young man that has been in our church that is going to be on the very, he'll be on secret missions, and he wants to call me today. And, um, and then look, there's fears, there's concerns but, but, you know, here's the thing. Here's what we know about, about God is and what he's doing with his disciples here. He was preparing them for the future. He said, look, I, I want to tell you what's about to happen. And you know what's amazing about God? He prepares us for the future. That's why the Lord's Supper is important. That's why looking at his word is important. Because what has God done through his word? He's prepared us for the future. And so we look at uncertain times, and we don't have to fear. We look at even death itself. We don't have to fear. Why? Because Jesus conquered the grave. 
And this is why the significance of Christ is so looking to Christ, serving Christ, is um, turning our face to Jesus is so very important. And this is why I pray that even today we seek, we come face to face with Jesus today. Uh, God prepares us for the future. Look at verse 33. But turning aside, seeing his disciples, oh, well, excuse me, I, I, I got ahead of myself. This right here is the third time that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, hey, boys, I'm, I'm going to die and rise from the dead. And I think it's interesting to look at how the disciples responded in each of those times. Remember the first time that he said that, that was in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 33. I, I, um, that was this moment that Jesus said, hey, I'm going to die and rise from the dead. You remember what Peter said? Peter went to him and said, Jesus, stop saying that. In Mark 8, 33, Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. He called Peter Satan in that moment. The second time was in Mark chapter uh, 9 when Jesus said to the disciples, look, I'm going to die and rise from the dead. And, and right after that, the disciples got in an argument with each other on which is the greatest. Who's going to be the greatest in heaven? And now you see the third time that Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, hey, we're going to Jerusalem Fellas, come here. I'm going to die and rise from the dead. And then James and John have this embarrassing little question that they come to Jesus and go, cool, cool, Jesus. Hey, I want to ask you a question. Can we sit at your right and your left hand? I can see Jesus going, okay, I just told you that I'm going to, I'm going to be delivered over, I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead, and they, and they just missed it. Here was a moment that, that God was revealing something critically important, and they, they just totally missed it. And before we just kind of dog these disciples, let's recognize our temptation to do the same thing. God will work right in front of us, do amazing things for us, and we totally miss him. We totally ignore him. It's like, whew, goes right over our head. And so let's, let's work on that. Let's not do that. And, and look, at, look at this. It's, it's interesting as, as what Jesus is trying to teach them is, is hey, look, look to me. Turn to me. Don't miss, don't miss what I'm doing right in front of our eyes. This is why one of the core values of our church is that we worship Christ. We look to Jesus. And we consistently push each other to look to Jesus. Worshiping Christ is this core value of our church. That we turn our face to Jesus. We have, a, we have a daily habit to look to the Lord every day. And this is the push. We're, we're, we're challenging one another. Read the word every day. It's not just checking off a religious box. It's turning your face to Jesus every day. It's why Amber started our service. Let's turn to the Lord today. It's why um, we, we, we are developing these disciplines and this habit to turn our face to Jesus because we want to worship Christ here. We're called to him. And, and we magnify Christ here. And, and, and we are having these attitudes that when God moves, we move. We are, we are carefully examining our motives. We are, we are carefully evaluating our methods as a church. Um, we, we, are, we, we change when God leads us to change. We, we move according to biblical guidelines. We allow God's Word to shape our thinking. This is what it looks like to encourage one another to live every moment, every moment of our lives in the presence of God. 
And see, we worship the Lord here, and, and the disciples missed it here. Look at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Notice that. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. You know what Jesus is doing here? Then he, he I can imagine him going, All right, fellas. He probably looked at James and John and appreciated their passion. I mean, obviously, they were the sons of thunder, right? Um, now, Mark gives us a shortened version of the story. Matthew really threw them under the bus because Matthew said, Matthew's account in Matthew 20, uh, he, he, he says it really was their mom that came to them with Jesus. I mean, they brought their mom. I mean, that's worse. I remember when my wife, my son got hit with a baseball and went to the dugout in, in a baseball game, and my wife wanted to go to the dugout. I'm like, you don't go to the dugout, Mom. Moms, don't ever go to the dugout if your son gets hit. Okay, right? Um, but they brought their mom to the dugout. It was that bad. Anna, you've never done that. I appreciate it. But um, your sons do. But, but imagine the frustration of Jesus with this conversation. He just revealed this important truth. And they're like, hey, Jesus, can I say your right and left hand? Look at what he says in verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? Now, this is what I love about James and John because they're like, absolutely. You bet I am. And you know what? I think Jesus looked at them and said, and, and I, I really think that this whole dialogue frustrated him at first. But, but I think Jesus looked at them and thought, that's why I love you guys. And that's what he says. Look what he says next. The cup I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But, come on, fellas. To sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant. But it is for those who it has been prepared. I, I, we don't know who's going to be at the right hand and left hand of Christ. I guarantee it's going to be someone we don't think. I think we're going to get to heaven and realize people that have these rewards in heaven are going to be like, who's that guy? He's not, I have a Spurgeon bobblehead in my office that I touch sometimes. Um, I don't think it's going to be guys like Spurgeon or some famous preacher. I think we're going to get to heaven and we're like, who's that guy? And then we're going to learn the story of how they served the Lord. We're going to, oh man. So it's interesting because this passage speaks to these rewards in heaven. It's so interesting. And, and, and you, you see some mistakes here, though. There, there's some mistakes that James, that I, that James and John make, but, but I think there's some mistakes we need to learn from. One mistake that they didn't make, that we often make, and, and here's a conviction I have as your pastor, I think we need to be a church that prays better. That, 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 is, that, that learns how to pray, I, I'm not sure that we're a church that really knows how to pray. And, and I'm saying that with you, not at you, okay? Let me just say that. Um, I, I think we need to learn to pray. Here's a mistake often people make when it comes to their prayer life. They ignore their access to the Lord. 
Do you realize you have access to God? And this is what James and John didn't do. They knew they had access to Jesus. So they said, hey, Jesus, we got to ask. We got to ask you something. We want to ask you something. And what did Jesus say? What do you want to ask me? Do you realize that that's a question that's always in front of you? And it's interesting to me how little we pray. And I want to challenge us to grow up in our ability to pray. You know, do we really know how to pray? Do you really know how to pray? Do you realize you have this access to God? That's one of the things that James and John did well here. But there's a, the mistake they did make, though. They did make a mistake here, and, and, and it's a mistake we need to learn from. I don't think they really listened to themselves as they went to Jesus. And you know, sometimes uh, I think we make the mistake that we pray without listening to ourselves. I want to challenge you to listen. Think about the prayers that you've prayed in the last two days. What were they like? What did you ask the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords? What did you ask him? I don't know about you, but I mean, I knew I was going to ask this question, so I've thought about it. So sorry. I'm just dumping it on you today. Um, But what have you been asking him? And I think it's important as you look at this question that James and John asked of Jesus. Now, it's interesting as he says the, these, this response, and I love their, their heart here, that, hey, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Yes, we're able. And we, we studied this. Remember Acts chapter 12, we looked at John and James. James was the first of the disciples who was killed. So he definitely drank the cup. What's the cup? It's the cup of suffering. It's the cup of the cross. It was the cup of the blood of Christ being shed for sins. Now, now, uh, James's blood wasn't shed for sin. Jesus' blood was shed for sin, but James was killed and by Herod. Killed him. We, we looked at that two weeks ago. John drank the cup, too, of suffering because he was thrown in jail and John never left the cross. And, 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 and he, he was the one that got the revelation of God. He wrote his gospel that we're going to look at all next year. And, but, but I think it's interesting what Jesus is doing for them here. He was refocusing their lives. He's like, look, you're going to follow me, and I appreciate that, and, I, and I'm going to help you do that. Because this is what God does. He helps you follow him. You're going to have a cup that you're going to have to drink, and you will follow me, and you will suffer like I suffer, is what he's essentially saying to them. But then he, he refocuses them. He's like, look, fellas, I don't want you to make the mistake of following the wrong example. You've got to follow me. So it's almost like he turns their face and says, boys, follow, look at me. Follow me. And he says, look, I know, and look at their heart. James and John wanted to do something great for the Lord. That's the positive side of their request. And, and I can relate to that because I look at my life, and I'll tell you, after I got saved and called to ministry, I looked at the Lord and said, Lord, I want to do something great for you. I want to serve you with all I have. I, I've, I've given all I have to serve the Lord. And we should too. You should too. 
And I look at our church, we want to be a church that does something great for the Lord. We don't want to just go through the motions. We're not a dead church. We want to do something great for the Lord. But you know what Jesus does here? He looks at James and he looks at John and he says, I want you to pursue the right greatness, the right kind of greatness. And and then he unveils what the right kind of greatness is. The first thing he unveils, he says, hey, look, you've got to avoid lording over one another. Because the disciples got mad at, he, mad at James and John here. Because here James and John are saying, hey, we want to be the most important of, of the disciples. And Jesus is like, and then they got, you notice the conflict here? They, got mad, they were mad at James and John. They were indignant. That means they were ticked off. They were ticked off at James and John. And then Jesus, look, look at verse 42. He says to them, he called them, all of them. He says, well, everybody, come here. He gets all of them together, and he says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the, of the, of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. And, he, and he's basically looking at them going, hey, look, you, you are not in competition with each other. You serve me. You follow me. Each of you have a role to play. Each of you have a race to run. And I look at us, we have a race to run both individually and corporately. And all of us play an important role in the, in the advance of the kingdom of God. Yeah, you may not be the one getting up to preach. And you may be going, thank you that I'm not getting up to preach. But, but I'll tell you, we all have a role to play. We are a part of the body of Christ. And, and, and we all play an important part. My part is not more important than yours. We all are called to serve the Lord. Let's not miss that. But look what he pushes them to. He goes, look, you got to work to outserve one another, not outlord one another. And, and, I, and I pray we are a church that works to serve, that, that we have a, maybe even push each other to a good, healthy competition of, of serving. Let's try to outserve one another. I found in my marriage, when I try to outserve my wife, you know what that does? It blesses my whole marriage. I would tell you husbands, work to outserve your wife, wives, work to outserve your husbands, kids, work to outserve your parents. You know when I, that, that'll change the life of your home. If you're single and you have friends, work to outserve people in your life. Oh my goodness, it'll change your life. And look at verse 43. He he gets the disciples together and he says, okay, these Gentiles that lord over one another, but it shall not be so among you. I mean, he basically goes, boys, I'm correcting all of you. This, This lording over one another shall not be so among you. But if you want to be great, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. He, uh, boy, what came to my mind as I tried to process the application of this, of, of being a, a church that is known for not our, our logo. I love our logo. I think it's cool. I love our website. I think, it's, I think it helps us stay on mission. I, I love our mission branding that we have. But can I tell you, it's not our job to let people recognize a logo in this community. It's our job to help people recognize our Savior. This world needs, this community needs Christ. And I don't want to be a church that's asleep thinking everybody, there's a church on every corner and that's somebody else's job. No, we're called to serve. 
in this place. And I love what Tim Keller said. He was a pastor in New York City that died this last year. And he made this statement that has continued to haunt me and drive me and move me and motivate me. When he said, I was at a conference with him, and he said, if your church suddenly vanished from your community, would anybody notice and would they care? Let me ask you a question. If your family vanished from your neighborhood, would anybody notice? Would they care? If you exited your job that you're in, would anybody notice and would they care? We're to walk with Jesus so closely. We're to love the Lord so dearly. We're to follow the Lord so nearly. We're to see the Lord so clearly that people recognize Christ everywhere we go. And, and this is what Jesus is pushing his disciples. This shall not be so among you. You've got to be slave of all. And, and then he goes on and he says something fascinating. As you look at this passage, he says, I love verse 45. Look at this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That even Jesus, Jesus himself entered the world to serve. And it just reminds us of, if we want to do something really great in our generation, if we want to do something really great in the times that we live, it's how we serve. You know, this week, um, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I shaved my beard, which makes me look younger, right? Um, uh, my, my wife says, oh, please shave your beard. And so I, I shaved it. And I shaved it for another reason that was quite embarrassing, but I'll tell you, I don't have time to tell you that. But, but this young pastor from Collinsville came and met with me this week because I'm older now. I don't feel like it, but I am. And he said, he was in seminary, and he said, I got a question. Can I interview you? And I said, yeah. And he asked me this question that really helped me process even this sermon. He said, what do you want your ministry to be known for when you die? I said, well, uh, okay. And, and I really paused, and I thought, what, what, would I, what do I really want to be known for? And, and the... The best I could come up with is Acts, um, I'm slipping the, the reference right now, Acts, I think it's 13, where it says about David, he served the Lord in his generation, and then he died. And, and you know what I, I pray that we're known for? Is that we serve the Lord. That we serve the Lord in our church. Do you know what if you're known for in your life? And that guy served the Lord. If my great-grandkids who, great-great-grandkids who never knew, know my name, but they know, hey, man, we had this great-great-grandpa that he just served the Lord. What are you known for? Look, the disciples right here, we're, we're living at a critical time in the history of the world. 
Christ had come physically into the, on the planet. He physically entered the world for the purpose of bringing forgiveness and conquering the grave, defeating sin and death. This was an important time for the people of God to turn their face to Jesus and to serve him in a way that counts. Well, folks, I don't, I mean, I read my Bible and I read these moments that prophets spoke about and that the, the Bible describes these moments that are preparing the way for the second coming of Christ. Matthew 24 talks about there'll be earthquakes in various places. That there'll be wars and rumors of wars. That the world's attention will turn its face back to Israel. I can't think of a more important time than right now to see the Lord more clearly. To love the Lord more dearly. And to follow the Lord more nearly. And, and I look at James and John and Brandon, I want you to come on up, right? Back there. I look at James and John, how they were like, Jesus was like, man, I love you guys. I love your passion. I love you sons of thunder. And, and maybe the thunder was their mama rather than them. I don't know. I don't know if they were, if that's the thunder that Jesus was talking about. I've known some mamas that were thunderous. But what we do know about James and John, they had some grit. They had some, that they were faithful. And my prayer for you is not at you, it's with you. That as we look at serving the Lord in our days, that we move when God tells us to move, that the people that know us know that we follow Jesus, that he's our Lord, that he's our Savior, that we believe what he said in his word. We believe that the Bible is God's revelation. We believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven and that we're willing to do anything that he calls us to do. And, and I want us to just end with this, and I want you to notice verse 39, because I keep getting stuck on verse 39. And when they said to him, we are able, and Jesus said to them, the cup that I will drink, you will drink. With the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And I just keep thinking about this cup that they had. Do you know that you and I get to live the adventure of the cup, right? You have a cup. I have a cup. Right after the first service, I was right here. And Harrison 
his family walked by. And I was like, man, I don't understand that this is your cup. But this is your cup. And you get to live out this adventure of God moving in you and, and leading you. Now, that's not your cup. But you got a cup. I don't want you to miss the incredible adventure of the cup. Would you bow your head? <laughs> Lord, as we bow before you, these days are tense. And with some, the perception, with a lost world, the perception is that they are uncertain days. But Father, you have prepared us for the future. You've revealed your word to us. And Father, you have given us promises and descriptions of what the days leading up to your second coming will look like. And so, Father, I pray that um, we would embrace your calling, the cup you've given to us. And, Lord, I, I just keep looking at your word, looking at our church, looking at my family, my life. And I pray, Father, we would see you more clearly than we've ever seen you. I pray, Lord, that we would love you more dearly than we've ever loved you. I pray that we would follow you more nearly than we've ever followed you. We look to you today, Jesus. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict and move and guide and strengthen, lift our head. We love you. We need you. And we want to respond like James and John here. We're able and we're willing. Lead us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.